Hey everyone, Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket, everyone. Saul Marquez is back. And today I have the privilege of hosting the excellent Alex Trehi. He is a healthcare data scientist and technologist with 10 years of industry experience with health plans and pharmaceutical companies. He has published research on the clinical and cost effectiveness of a variety of products and interventions and brings a deep expertise in using modern statistical methods combined with claims and clinical data to study interventions in a real world setting. After studying for his MBA at MIT Sloan, he built the analytics and data science function at Wealthframe as its first data science hire. And he's passionate about building and validating scalable data products in healthcare organizations. When Alex is not working on analysis, he's almost always playing ultimate Frisbee. And the work that he's doing at Algorex Health is fascinating. You guys have probably heard our interview with Jacob Luria, the CEO of Algorex Health. If you haven't listened to it, it's episode 536. But Alex is doing some extraordinary things with data science. And today we're going to be diving into those today and and just diving into his thoughts around some of the opportunities for bridging the gaps in data. So Alex, such a privilege to have you here with us today. Thanks, all. Really looking forward to the conversation. Likewise, likewise. Before we dive into to the work that you're up to at Algorex Health and the many things you've done in your career, talk to us a little bit about what inspires your work in healthcare. Yeah. So I kind of got into healthcare a little bit by accident early in my career, but I continue to be inspired by thinking about bringing modern technology to a place where we can actually help people. You know, I see a lot of really interesting work in the ad tech space, right, on the just pure technology side. And sometimes it's tough to think, how do we spend spend our lives in the ad tech space just to make sure we can optimize that cycle of getting you know money into the system? And, mm-hmm. you know, healthcare, I'm... I hate to say this, but I'm inspired by the mess in some ways. There's a lot of people who are really trying to do the right thing, trying to help people, but they're hamstrung by not really having the right tools, not really having the right methods, um, having to deal with privacy constraints and the kind of ongoing pressure from their organization to fit into that box. So just a lot of opportunity to improve both the system and people's lives and and bring keep learning on, on modern methods and technology and keep pushing things forward that way too. Yeah, for sure. And there is, like you mentioned, right? There's all this effort and execution on bringing money into the door, bridging the gap on those inefficiencies and, and thinking through how and, and the best ways to get there is really the I think the the most rewarding work. So so talk to us what you're doing there at Algorex Health and, and how you guys are adding value to the healthcare ecosystem. Yeah. So we are generally focused on analyzing social determinants of health. So if you've listened to the conversation with Jacob, you probably heard some of this background, but I'll give a, a quick refresher. We work with large health plans and ACOs and anyone in the value-based healthcare space. We'll go out and acquire as much data as we can from the kind of consumer marketing world on individual patients and then use that to run a kind of series of models to understand what are the social determinants of health that the, the members are, barriers that the members are facing. So things like food access, um, unstable housing, social isolation, can we predict those outcomes and then design, run, and evaluate campaigns or interventions around addressing those outcomes. 
So for example, you know, we did a program in upstate New York with Blue Cross Excellus, where they Excellus Blue Cross Blue Shield that um mm-hmm. identified a couple thousand people who would really really benefit from a food intervention and then gave them a monthly gift card. Um, so just $25 a month to a mobile food market. So kind of identifying where are the best locations for mobile food markets to be, who are the patients who would benefit the most, all kind of using the non-clinical data from the consumer marketing world. So trying to bring, in, in one sentence, it's really bringing consumer marketing techniques to the world of healthcare to try to address social determinants of health. Yeah. It's really great. And the the problem of food scarcity, man, I mean, it's just like, we totally underestimate it. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's one thing we often say this to our clients that really, we, you know, we work with a lot of Medicaid clients and would say pretty much everyone needs some help with food. It's just such a pervasive problem. And it has such huge downstream impacts that, you know, we, we talk a lot about being financially sustainable and running small scale interventions to understand how can we scale them up, understand the value, that kind of thing. But we probably believe most people would benefit from this kind of program, $25 a month for food. But it's it's crazy to us just the depth of it that we see everywhere yeah. and wish there was... It's exciting to be in the space because it's fun to think about those problems. But I wish there was, there was more work on it. It's a lot of small scale stuff and hard to do. It is. So then you've got, you've got these trucks. These food trucks are... So who sponsors the food trucks? Just curious. Yeah. So we're actually working with Healthify as another, as a partner here to think about looking for local organizations and building a network where we can identify kind of CBOs as the the acronym, right? Community benefit organizations, identifying local partners who can help and then kind of designing the contract with the health plan around that. And then we're more the glue of, can we identify people, make sure we're facilitating data transfer back and forth but then leveraging the expertise of the local organization to kind of deliver the actual intervention. So in this case, the organization is called Foodlink and they're doing great work. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of taking data back from them into our system to do the evaluation, the downstream evaluation. You know, can we match if you went to the market and purchased, you know, your $25 plus additional or not? You know, how often did you go? Did that have any impact downstream on you know, potentially PCP attachment or, you know, reduced ER visits over the long term. We don't have, we need kind of thousands of people to really see a big impact on ER visits. But with several hundred, you can see things like increased PCP visits and increased engagement with the health plan. So local organizations largely, and in this case, kind of facilitated by Healthify. But in general, you know, we can bring national partners to bear where where that makes sense, something like an Uber Health for a transportation benefit. But most often there's great organizations doing work in the area. Um, and it's kind of a question of how how do you connect the dots between the big health plan and the the small local organization and knowing what their capacity might be. Yeah. That's super interesting. Thanks for thanks for diving into that. I mean, it, it is just uh an opportunity. And Alex, you mentioned, right? I mean, we so much data is collected on all of us. I mean, even recently, mm-hmm. right? You got the thing that's happening with WhatsApp and their new privacy feature, right. <laughs> like the flow to the other platforms. Unfortunately, I don't have access to all of your message history to analyze your health behavior, but that <laughs> might, be, yeah, might be where we go someday. But, you know, the, the point being like the information is being collected and it's being used to commercialize to us. But mm-hmm. what you guys are doing is saying, okay, we get that. But here's a here's a way to do well, like do good and do well. And let's let's collect those things to help nudge people to get the food that they need, to get checked out, to go get that COVID, uh, you know, inoculated, right? Like mm-hmm. these are the things you guys are trying to get done. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because most people, if you ask them, are their health plans looking out for them? They'd probably say absolutely not, right? Their health plan is just trying to milk me for money. 
in my experience, worth working at both Wellframe and the kind of digital care management space, as well as at Algorex doing analytics and data science and social determinants, the health plan is trying their best to help people. Like they, they really do want people to have better health, but they have this massive organization they're trying to fit into the constraints of. So it, it's a fun place to be in that we really are trying to improve people's lives. And the health plan is funding that, really trying to improve people's lives. But it is a tricky one of, you know, if you design a campaign and me from, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield is calling you up saying, here, can you please answer this survey? We often we often joke, health fans really want to do is we're here about your social determinants. And what we want to come with is an offer first, rather than saying, we bought all this data on you and we understand you have a food access challenge. It's more, we have a food program, would you like to participate? But building that trust is hard. Um, and that's that's one thing I think that may take years to undo in the healthcare systems. We have we have just seen so much problem, but it, it's fun to use all that data where we are trying to help. But it, you have to toe that line carefully. You know, if we were to give just all of the data to the health plan, would they go in a different direction over time? Maybe. And that's a, a hard one to manage, but fun place to be. For sure. So Alex, what, what would you say makes you guys different than other approaches yeah. in the market? I think primarily it's the trying not to build a another workflow tool or SaaS platform particularly the venture capital capital world wants to create this pressure to create a workflow tool, bring people onto your platform, have a standardized data model. You know, can we put more activity of the healthcare system in the four walls of my company? And we try to bring more of a data analysis and data science approach that is the glue between other players. So we work with companies like Arcadia and Healthify and Unite Us and others to kind of feed data back and forth to vendors who might need it. All that kind of combined with, I would say, fairly straightforward approach to analyzing value, but one that I don't see a lot, you know, making sure we run things at small scale and have an effective evaluation plan. So a lot of my background is in running cost effectiveness analyses, both for digital interventions and for pharmaceutical interventions, and a kind of simple approach to can we study one population versus another with statistically valid approaches? Can we approximate a randomized control trial in any way to understand what are the real outcomes? And sometimes that's a more clever statistical approach, like a propensity score matching, or sometimes it's, it truly is randomization where we say, here's 500 people who got the intervention, here's 500 who didn't. Let's study the outcomes we think this might impact and then get that full turn of data on the pilot to know, did this work? Can we scale it up? How do we go from here? But how we're different, I think, is mostly that we're we're trying to help other players do this and make sure we provide the data and the expertise to facilitate that process and therefore to collect that, what we call the full turn of data from identifying a member to delivering an intervention to tracking and evaluating the impact um, and seeing, can that inform our better targeting? Mm -hmm. We want to be that engine more than we want to be the workflow tool. We want We know healthcare organizations have spent millions of dollars and months of training on their care management tools and their clinical workflow tools and, and otherwise. And we want to help them realize more value out of that rather than uh, to replace it with another vertically integrated one. Yeah, that's critical. And, and the difference is key. Sort of like you're aiming to be sort of that insights engine rather than just mm -hmm. uh, another tool. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's easy to say, right. And harder to execute because we see, I'm sure everyone, all of your listeners will, will know the kind of mess that is healthcare data. So we have built our platform to try to take random CSV files and text files and Excel files and turn that into a coherent data model, make sure we have enough of a standardization process that we can do that work. But that's you know, that's not sexy work to take an analyst's pull from a reporting system and turn that into a roster that we can go acquire data on and, and understand clinical impacts. So it, it's kind of why I see people haven't done this. 
but it's it's a battle constantly to know how can we create open data standards. You know, I'd love to see more HL7 or Fire or similar to make this easier, but there's just so much going on that we have to do that hard kind of manual work of of standardizing data. Yeah, and you know that's that's where the magic happens, right? I mean, that's where the standardization of it, the organization of it, if you're able to do it reproducibly, that's the huge value that you guys are adding. Yeah, and I'm not sure it can be done in a purely automated way. And I think that's the interesting part. We tend to think about it as how can we put constraints or tools around just encouraging standardization over time? We're not going to create one data model to rule them all. We're going to create a set of tools that allows you know me to show up with a client and say, let me collect all this chaotic data, turn it into a slightly more standardized version where at least the member ID is the same format everywhere mm-hmm. and use that to drive value you know, one cycle at a time. It's not about installing the perfect tool. It's about getting one cycle of iteration, learning a little bit from it, scaling up the interventions that work and kind of going from there. Yeah, that makes sense, Alex. And so give us an example of something that you guys have done to improve outcomes. Yeah. I mean, so I mentioned the food truck or the the mobile food market one, but I'll mention another one of around COVID. We've seen a decent amount of work with kind of delivering what we called care kits or care boxes to about 100 or 150,000 members in the Midwest with a big blues plan of thinking about how do we identify people who are really in high risk areas for COVID. And we're, you know, we're kind of bringing expertise and external data where the world is changing too fast to keep up with claims data. In fact, we saw a massive drop in claims data as a whole, um, just any utilization during COVID, as you might expect. And bringing consumer marketing data to say, who are the people who are at risk from either being low income or in areas where there's high traffic that are at risk of contracting COVID from their prior comorbidities and say, great, what can we provide as a health plan to encourage them to stay home? So we sent about 150,000 care boxes that include you know, masks and hand sanitizer and a little bit of canned food that kind of encourage people to just stay home for a couple more weeks while the early phases of COVID happened. And, you know, that's not a really unusual approach. I think a lot of players in the system are doing something similar, but we're coming in and helping, just helping get that off the ground quickly. A lot of people know, this is often something we see, organizations know that they want to do something, but they don't quite know where to start. So it's easy to spin your wheels for too many weeks. And in the case of COVID, those weeks (laughs) pile up quickly in terms of exponential growth. So we were able to come in with this with this blues plan and you know within about a week get a target list of 150,000 people and send out these care boxes and, and make sure that you know we could reduce the impact of the spread of the virus. Yeah, that's really really awesome, man. And just, you know, having the expertise to to quickly scale and and implement a project like this is is important as as we saw through months of 2020 how quickly things could right. could escalate awesome that you guys were able to do that it, yeah it worked in our favor that we're very lightweight i think we talked about the not being a saas platform and there's some there's some real amount of power of being a saas platform of having control over the whole system because we're just lightweight and we have the expertise to kind of bring in that data and no real tools to install or train or anything like that it allows us to go fast Obviously, that has its downsides of we can go too fast and get a little bit more chaotic. Sometimes that works. I think in in COVID, it's really played to our advantage. In other cases, a more elaborate, comprehensive approach can be can be right. So it is. It's been fun to see. Well, fun is the right word, but it, it's been fun to try to stay agile. The world changing fast for reasons that we don't like has been a challenge, but it's been our kind of smallness has played to our advantage here. Yeah, that's wonderful. And so right now, especially with the pandemic, you know, we turned the year, 
I feel like social isolation is one of those things that that sticks out. Any Anything around that and things that you guys have done? Just curious. Yeah, we think about this one a lot. We had been running some programs that were like togetherness nights or kind of in-person events for mm-hmm. seniors who were at risk of social isolation. And, you know, we run a set of models to try to understand social isolation if we can. It's a hard one to predict mental state of someone, yeah. but at least to know you live alone, you don't have access to a vehicle, you live in a low density area. Th- those are kind of factors that we know are correlated. In the pandemic, that's much harder to address, right? We It was much easier to say, we know you're socially isolated. Now let's bring you in for a bingo night or something yeah. like that. Pretty lightweight interventions. Now, very difficult. So we're we're working with an organization called Papa Pals, which you may have heard of, um, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting to pair younger people with seniors to to kind of help address both technical challenges and social isolation at the same time. Thinking about can we do more digital interventions to get people together? So online workout classes that are pretty lightweight. None of the solutions are perfect. Even with all the resources available, being socially isolated is a real problem in the pandemic and only mm-hmm. one that's going to get worse. We do run models on it and think a lot about different kinds of interventions to help address that where we can where we can find it. I think that's great. Yeah, all these things need attention. And you guys are doing such an interesting job, effective job, and approaching it in an interesting way to get results. What would you say has been one of the biggest setbacks, Alex, and, and a key learning yeah. that came out of that? Yeah, I won't mention the organization, but this is it's happened in various degrees a few times of kind of providing data science for the sake of data science. I've talked a lot about getting to an intervention and our company is built around trying to get value in the hands of patients. But so often we've, we try to start with an analytics project or a population summary um, or similar. And a couple of times we've shown up and done this whole analysis and what generally we produce a slide deck and a strategy, but don't ever get anything done. And that's a very frustrating place to be early. I, I think early we thought, we could provide great data and a great set of models. And because they're excited about social determinants and wanted to pay us to do this analysis, they clearly were going to take it and run with it. And we really found that if we show up, it doesn't matter how great the targeting list is, unless we're the ones driving the intervention or really pushing them to get, you know, often 25 yeses in an organization to get an intervention out the door. And we needed to bring that expertise in-house to say, you know, if they're ready to run with it, great. But most of the time, they know social determinants are a thing and they would like to do something, but they don't know what it is. So it isn't enough just for us to give a recommendation. We also have to be ready to find an organization locally like Foodlink in Rochester and do the work to kind of get that contract signed between the health plan and the organization and make sure that it's getting off the ground. These things always take longer than we'd like. So it, it was definitely early on in the company. It was a frustrating experience to have a few you know, here's this 10,000 10, member target list. These people really need a food intervention. Let's go. And then they would just spend six months sitting on it. So we would love for them to be, and I think we see the, the industry getting a little bit more sophisticated here, but it, it goes a little slower than we'd like sometimes. Yeah. You're like, here's gold <laughs> and do something with it, melt it into <laughs> something useful. Yeah. And there, people are often excited about, you know, it depends on where in the organization you get to. People want to look good. And they say, this is this great thing. We have this opportunity, but it's lower priority. So we'll put it on the backlog. Maybe we'll get to it next year. And now we spend all this time identifying members, identifying need and and not doing anything. And that's just the reality of the industry where there's just so much happening all at once. So how do we how do we keep moving is, is the real learning that we've had to figure out. Totally. And so you guys have been able to create partnerships with companies and organizations, uh, local and national. 
that help with operationalizing the the insights and mm-hmm. and the things that that you provided, like this list, right? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that's we think about how do we bring on national vendors so we can be prepared to bring transportation or food or even just financial support to anyone kind of out of the box. But so much more often, the local organizations are the ones that do the best work. And you look at a, both companies like Healthify um, and Unite Us that are doing kind of the network building. So they're building a big tool and thinking about how do we get all of the local organizations organized and a referral platform around it. And those are really valuable pieces. Um, so I think we're excited to see the progress of that in the industry. You know, We can kind of bring lighter weight interventions to go, you know, ready to go in a few days or a few weeks rather than a few months. But we do kind of believe fundamentally that that's, that scale is necessary over the long term. Yeah, that's super interesting. And so are you guys looking for more folks to collaborate? Are you, are you always open-minded? Because if there might yeah. be an organization listening that says, wow, maybe there's something we could do to, to collaborate with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we love to hear from people, especially in the the food access space is one that we've we found a lot of local organizations in the Northeast that we've loved working with, Wholesome Wave and, and Speak Tour in particular that we've enjoyed working with. But there are lots of people doing great things around housing that we're interested in learning more about in the food space and the transportation space that the only thing we really ask is that you're able to send individual data. If there's we can close a referral or just kind of know that someone has been provided a service, we're thinking about how to connect that with the health plan or the ACO and make sure we can evaluate the intervention and know how do we facilitate finances there too. So would love for people to get in touch with me. You can look us look us up on algorexhealth.com and find me or really anyone. My colleague, Erin Minorski is a, a food systems expert and she brings a lot of that to you know how do we find partners and build a sustainable approach with them. And that's that's really exciting work she's doing. Another person you may want to reach out to. But it's yeah. yeah. So if, if people are listening and, and want to get in touch, would love to talk to them about it. Love it. Thanks for that, Alex. And if you're listening and something resonated with you today of the amazing work that Alex and team are doing at Algorex Health. By all means, we'll leave links to how to get in touch with him in the show notes. So take advantage of the opportunity. It's about doing. Don't just think about it. Do it. What What are you most excited about today, Alex? Yeah, I'm really excited about kind of more integration of these approaches. You know, we we focus a lot on social determinants now. I tend to think that's a the most cost-effective and I guess, health effective choice for interventions right now. But there's a lot of good work happening in the the industry around care management and concierge services and otherwise that are all going to fit together, right? We're seeing an increasing trend towards patient first or whole patient healthcare. That's just really exciting to see. It's I know we've been talking about this maybe for 10 years, but it the momentum does seem to be increasing. And I'm excited to see where that goes around having technology that can collect all the data available, make sure we know what are the, the things that people need and kind of provide them across the board, whether that's food access or a doctor's visit or medication or otherwise. Looking at all that together will make the whole system go better. I love it. Yeah, that is exciting, Alex. I, I agree with you. And so, you know, there is a question that I had. So there's the the populations that are you know covered by insurance, whether it be through <laughs> an employer or directly with the insurance company. And then there's the Medicare, you know, advantage. But how about mm-hmm. what happens to Medicaid? What happens to the Medicaid population? I feel like they yeah. often are the ones that need the most help. Absolutely. And, and I would say about 70% of our work is with the Medicaid population. Oh, it Medicare. is. And often it's Medicaid cool. ACO or Medicaid managed Medicaid plans, but that is absolutely where people need the most help. Yeah. Um, 
it's an interesting one because so much of the problem we see is the continuous enrollment. So that churn problem makes it very hard to make it financially sustainable to invest mm-hmm. in people's long-term health care. So it's an interesting place to be. I would love to see the Medicaid be expanded in some way, more states to pick that up. But there's a lot of really great work happening in the Medicaid world of trying to address these. That's often when I say that the most cost-effective and truly effective across the board interventions are going to be in for a, a lower income population that doesn't have those basic resources, yeah. food or transportation or otherwise. So we love working in that space. Um, I think we'd love to see a more sustainable enrollment. So we're not just worried about a lot of the effort is, can we keep them for more than one year, keep them eligible, make sure if they move multiple times that the paperwork has been filled out to stay with the plan so that it is financially justifiable to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars to, to improve someone's health. And that's a that's a hard problem, but it is where we see the, the biggest area of need. Fascinating. Well, maybe that's an angle we cover with you guys next time. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Alex. Well, listen, this has been super interesting and insightful. You guys are making a big difference. So thank you for all you do. What closing thought would you leave us all with, Alex? And then what's the best place that the listeners could get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I would say for any of the people in the healthcare industry out there, just to get started, I think the approaches that that we're bringing are relatively simple, but most of the time it's about getting started and evaluating how it goes and learning from there. We often want to have the perfect solution to a problem, but really we see the best option is to do something and then see how it goes and learn from it. Um, and the more we can build those learning systems, the, the better off we'll all be. If people want to get in touch and learn about social determinants or data science that we do, um, algorexhealth.com is a great choice. My email is alex at algorexhealth. If you want to send me marketing materials or just get in touch to have a, a conversation, would love to chat with anyone who's listening. Thank you so much, Alex. That's awesome. And folks, take Alex up on it. And I love your message, Alex, because it is about just doing it, you know, and, and you're never going to get it right. Maybe you might get it right the first time. You might get lucky, <laughs> but it's about iterating and and trying new things, but just doing it now. And and so you've left us with a really strong message, Alex. I, I can't thank you enough for, for spending time with us and, and really sharing the amazing work that you and the team at Algorex Health are, are up to. Thanks so much. Thanks all. Really enjoyed the conversation. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world, though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.